0: A couple of weeks ago, we started this process and we established in the very first sermon in this series that the church is the physical property of Jesus, that it's Jesus' church. That was the very first thing. And if we miss that point, the whole rest of this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Then we established in the second week that the way that Jesus communicates truth to his body is through the written word. That the way that we know what we should do and how we should do it isn't based on our whim. It isn't based on what culture says. It isn't based on what everybody thinks is popular. It isn't based on what everybody in the world thinks is loving. It's based on what God's Word teaches. Period. Full stop. And so then we took the next few weeks after that and began deconstructing things that we do in the church. We looked at why do we take up an offering. That's an unusual way for the church to fund itself. For us to pass a plate around and people in the church have the opportunity to give. And we established that the biblical methodology uh, or the biblical way that we should look at our money is that it all belongs to God and that we give not out of guilt or compulsion, but because that's a way for us to, to, to check our hearts. So we looked at giving. We looked at uh, why do we do the things that we do as far as teaching kids and youth? And we, we looked at why does the church go? Why do we send missionaries? Why do we make discipleship the heart and soul of everything that we do in the church? We looked last week at singing why do we sing? And we saw that as Christians, we alone uh, sing in our, our, the same language that we're speaking. We sing in such a way that the words engage our mind as well as our, our spirit and our soul. And we looked at why we sing. And this morning, we're going to look at why we do this. Why do we have one guy who stands up in front of everybody... And preaches and teaches. Why do we do that? If you think about it, this is a pretty weird way to do things. And to begin, I wanted us to look at uh, first the negative and to protect me from straw manning and kind of Uh, leaning in the one way or the other, I I found uh, a paper. And If you just Google, Preaching is Dead, you'll find hundreds of people who have written articles about why they think that this form of communication, that what we're doing right now is a a bad way to do it. But I found one particular paper written by Dr. Krish Candia, and I want to, to use his paper as the basis for the argument against preaching. His first point was that preaching is a dated form of communication. In a post-Google setting, people want the right to reply. It's strange that I stand up here and tell you what the Bible says, and you don't have an option to to say anything back. That's not how we typically get information in today's world. Today's world, if I want to know what was the name of the disciple after uh, Judas died I grab my phone and I look it up hey what was the name or I might even go okay Google what was the name of the and so I'm going to find out that way and I if I want information now in an information age and, and what uh, this professor keeps referring a post-Google era we don't have these monologues where somebody stands up and talks we want to go out and seek the information for ourselves we want to be able to reply back we want to be able to say You know, catch me outside, how about that, if we don't like it. I've been trying for like six weeks to figure out a way to work that into a sermon. So yes! Um, uh, We want to be able to reply back. And so this is a poor form of communication in that regard. In fact, I've tried here to kind of create an environment where you could text questions to to a number and then after the sermon me respond to those questions. And all all I got was like joke questions like why why do you part your hair that way or stupid stuff. <laughs> so we we stopped doing that. And Brian messing with me occasionally with some of the stuff he had put on the backboard. So their first argument is that preaches is a dated form of communication. The second thing that he he felt like is that preaching leads to a poor retention of information. That a lecture type moment is a poor way for you to learn let me give you an example a few weeks ago i used as an illustration the idea of the or the fact that there are times when i'm walking down through here and somebody will come up to me and say preacher i ain't trying to tell you how to do your job but how many of you remember that illustration quite a few How many of you remember what point I was trying to make with that illustration? Raise your hand if you remember that. Three, four. So a monologue, a lecture, can be a poor form of communication. In fact, what I just was able to expose, that is called a misplaced um, illustration, which means everybody remembers the illustration. They don't remember what the point was trying to make. And that's super common. Okay, so he believes that preaching leads to poor retention of information. It's an inefficient form of education and transformation. And this is really where I think he's going with this. Let me just be straight up here. It's fairly easy to manipulate an audience because you're getting feedback from the people beside you and behind you, and it's easy to carry an audience. I could easily make you laugh. I can easily make you cry. In fact, I, when I first put this sermon together, I had a story I was going to tell where I had a dog that I had to put down that was an old yeller kind of story. Guaranteed, I could tell the story and make everybody cry. It just took too long, so I had to get cut. If you want to hear about the time I killed one of my dogs, meet with me later, I'll tell you. Um, but because of that, it, it doesn't, it's, because it's easy to manipulate people from the pulpit. It doesn't lead to a lifestyle change. How many of you know somebody that went to a Billy Graham, Freddie Gage, Randy Hogue revival, walked in all, cried, filled out a card, and right now they're living for the devil. And it had no impact in the way that they lived their life. In fact, I found if you go door to door and knock on people's door, people will tell you all the time. So if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? Absolutely. Why is that? Well, because in 1978, I was at this revival, and I got saved. Where do you go to church now? Well, I don't really. What are you doing for God now? What are you doing to live? Uh, yeah. And so with preaching, it's easy to manipulate a crowd it's easy to get people to kind deg- of guilt people into doing things. It doesn't, according to this writer, ha- have as much of an impact or a transformational effect. It doesn't play to different learning styles in the room. I don't know if any of you are, uh, there are a lot of educators in this room, and I know I'm about to speak out of my element, but there are people in here that your learning style is visual, and so you've got to see things. And so this It does well for you because I'm moving around all over the place. And Don Smith was saying today that half the people that come to this church come because they know at some point I'm going to fall off the stage and they want to miss it. (laughs) So visual style people, this is a good way to do it. But what if you're a tactile learner? What if you like to touch things and feel them? This is a horrible way for you to learn. There's nothing for you to touch or feel. And if you're an auditory learner, if you learn by hearing, then there's all these distractions that's going on around you that's going to keep you from learning. I, Whenever I'm visiting a church, if I'm not the one preaching, I have to sit on the front row because I am so ADD that if I don't sit on the front row, I will get nothing out of the sermon. All I will get is that the guy in front of me was clipping his fingernails, and if he kept clipping his fingernails, I was going to break that man's neck (laughs) because I'm so distracted by every little thing that goes on. So preaching can be, it doesn't play to different people's learning styles. His uh, other reason, even the best monologue practitioners, which is what he's calling preachers, are performers seeking to entertain. Now, every preacher knows there's a balance, right? If I were to get up here and take this text in Colossians that we're going to study, and I were to do nothing but whiteboard the, the Greek out there for you and show how Paul is arcing across that text and didn't tell any stories, didn't do anything to hold your attention, everybody in here would fall asleep. So you have to have a form of entertainment in there or you can't hold people's attention. And so it's easy, once you realize that, it's easy for you, you to do nothing but entertain. And so even the best monologue practitioners oftentimes just devolve into nothing but entertainment. And finally, in his closing argument, he says, Preaching, as it is practiced in a lot of our churches, is a dead form of communication that doesn't fit our contemporary Western culture and, he argues, has no biblical precedent. He argues that the way that we do a church service where a dude gets up in front of everybody and teaches is not something that we see in the Bible. Now, I've tried to present his position to the best of my ability. Again, I'm trying not to just paint it. And, and you know, it's it's a compelling argument. We read that. We look at that. We say, yeah, I can see that. And so the question I want us to ask ourselves is, do we need to keep doing it this way? Is this the way that is the best way for you, all of you people, to move from being here in your walk with Christ to being more like Jesus? Because that's really our ultimate goal, right? Life transformation. Develop people's walk with the Lord to grow people in their Christ-likeness to what we said, remember, on week three, make disciples. That's our goal. And so we want to ask ourselves, is this the best way to do it? Now, you may be thinking, why are we even doing this? Nobody around here cares. Everybody knows that preaching is the bomb. I even have people tell me, look, man, I like that sermon, but that was teaching. I want some preaching. But I will tell you, it's coming. Even if you haven't heard somebody who made this kind of argument... It's coming. Ann and I went to a North American mission board of the, the Southern Baptist Convention. We went to a boot camp that was a church planning boot camp to teach us how to plant churches. And the, I will never forget this as long as I live. The guy who was teaching the class on preaching actually said, if you're spending more than four hours a week on sermon preparation, you'll never grow a church. And I was sitting there, and at that time in my life, Um, I I was spending 40 to 50 hours a week in sermon preparation, and I thought, this guy is an idiot, because there's no way that I was doing it wrong. Wow, that took a little time for everybody to... (laughs) You guys don't think very highly of me, do you? (laughs) There is a push among evangelicals to jettison this part of the service. At the very best, to cut it further and further down. A lot of churches the sermon time is 15 minutes of they're there Jesus loves you they're there, there shh, 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 it's okay that's what a lot of preaching is today and that comes from this kind of a mentality that plays and says these people can't handle biblical preaching so We said that the Bible is our God. We said that the way we're going to learn what to do as a church is not from tradition. We're not doing it because that's the way we've always done it. We're not doing it because that's the way we think it's the best. We're going to go to God's Word, so let's do that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Titus. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, the text that David read to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you did not leave us without a guide. Father God, I think of what you commanded Ezekiel. Let the man who has a dream tell of his dream, but the man who has a word from God tell the word from God. And Father God, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would guide me this morning. That you would guide this body to see how important the preaching of the word is. Lord, I pray in our town, in our state, in our country. Lord, across this world, you would fill pulpits with men of God with a spine to stand behind a pulpit and say, Thus says the Lord. And God, I pray that this morning you would give me the guts to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what we see in this text is that Titus was sent to a very difficult environment. In Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul tells of a, 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 it says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Now think about that. That's actually pretty funny that Paul would write this. It would be along the lines, let's break this down to if this happened in Alabama. It would be along the lines of me getting a letter from Dr. Aiken at Southeastern that said, hey, Jeff Foxworthy of the redneck tribe has said that Alabamians are ignorant rednecks. And it's true. That's exactly what he said here. He quotes a Cretan and says, the Cretans are always liars. They're not some of the times liars. They're always liars. Evil beasts. Lazy gluttons. And this is true. So he, Paul is sending Titus into an environment that is bad, that even the world knows is bad. In fact, it goes so far, realize that evil beast is saying that they do just like animals. When it comes to sex, when it comes to eating, they, whatever's in front of them, they're going to attack it. They're lazy. They won't work. They're gluttons. They just keep consuming, 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 consuming. This is a horrible situation that Paul is sending young Titus in. The environment, the world around Titus here in Crete is as bad as it could be. He sends him to a church where there was a lot of bad teaching. In fact, he starts out and tells him, To set back in order what remains. So this is a church where people had come to the Lord that was growing, that had already started falling apart. There was barely anything left. Set back in order what's left. And we see that there's terrible teaching going on. He says, there are many who are insubordinate. So when you try to teach them, they're going to look you in the face and say, nope, you're wrong. They're empty talkers. Which means that they puff themselves up with how much they know when they don't know anything. They are deceivers. They will blatantly try to lie. Especially those of the circumcision party. So there's a group of people there who are Judaizers that are trying to add to grace and say you got to do this, 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 and this. So that you can get all that God has for you, you've got to get this secret way to do it. They must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families, and they're teaching for what? For shameful gain. The reason they're teaching is for that money. We read of the same teachers in 1 Peter, the same kind of teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will fall their sensuality. Now, don't think when you hear sensuality necessarily sexuality. Think about it's things that have to do with the senses what I can eat, what I can smell, what I can taste. You can have it all now. Sound familiar? Get your best life now, baby. You wanna be wealthy? All you got to do is claim it in Jesus' name. You want to be healthy? You just got to speak that into being. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are waterless springs and mist driven by the storm see that's just the worst evil if you think about it, if you were hungry or thirsty and you're just all you could think about is water i've got to have something to drink and somebody gives you takes you to a spring that looks like a spring it smells like a spring it's offering hope but it's empty and there's nothing there For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. That may seem confusing, but what he's saying is, if somebody comes to you and says, Jesus will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, that's why you need to come to Jesus? What Paul is saying is then your God's not Jesus. It's health, wealth, and wisdom. 2 Timothy 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded enduring suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry now think about this Titus and Timothy both are sent to places where there's the the culture is crazy wild sin is being celebrated gluttony is is being held up like it's a great thing everything That is evil, is being treated like it's good in the culture, in the world, and in the church. Instead of people teaching people the truth, instead what we have is people talking about what do you want now? God's here to give it to you, man. He's your big, what is it called? Where you pull the arm down, you put the quarter in, you get the money out. Slot machine! Woo! Jesus is the slot machine in the sky, baby. If you know the right thing to say, he'll give you what you want and they're doing it for that dollar. Does that not sound familiar? Does that not sound like the world we live in right now? We live in a country where evil is celebrated. Where virtues are mocked. Where the world says the things that the Bible clearly teaches sin are awesome. And yet, you come in the church, you're looking for some truth, and instead you're given the American dream wrapped in a cross. It sounds exactly like the world that we live in today. It sounds like Paul sending Titus not to Crete, but to Gadsden. Because I tell you, I can't walk in the Christian bookstore without getting nauseous. Because if you walk in there and look at just the titles of the book, 20 Secrets to This, That, or the Other Thing, Your Best Life Now, that kind of garbage pulls people away from truth. So here we are. In the exact same scenario, what is Paul's solution that he gives Titus? What is it that Paul teaches Timothy to do to push back against all that? Because whatever it is, if that culture is so similar to where we find ourselves today, whatever it is that Paul's telling Timothy and Titus to do, we need to start doing that, right? That would make sense. So let's look and see what it is. Paul's stated solution for this scenario is to teach and preach the word. Paul says to appoint elders and they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it is taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So Paul tells Titus, you go into that church there. There's just a barely a little bit left. You appoint some people and you start pouring into them and then you send them out to teach. Teaching is so important. Teaching, explaining God's word. We need to know what God's Word teaches so that we can do it. We need to know that. That's what Christians are hungry for. Amen. Now, sometimes we don't know that. You know, the Bible is often compared to meat, the meat of the Word. And if you left somebody by themselves, if you left me, if you, like I was locked for a month in, in Mr. G's, I'm probably going to live on Snicker bars for the first couple of weeks, right? I mean, Snicker bars are good. Reese Cups are good, but can we live off of that? So there's meat of the Word that we need to get into. And that requires work to be able to preach it and teach it. Some of your Sunday school teachers, all week long, they they are in that book. They are in the Word. They are trying to prepare. That teaching is what we need. So let's come back to this monologue here, this preaching. In 2 Timothy Titus is told, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul tells Timothy, in the face of heresy, in the face of a culture that pushes back, your job, your task is to preach the Word. And so I proffer to you that because of this text, that we as a church do this, not because we necessarily have come up with some kind of plan that this is going to be the best solution, but simply because that's what we're told to do. And I think that God knows what we need to do better than we know. Just color me stupid, but that's just what I think. He says, preach the word. And you know what? If you look at that first century church in a world that everything was going wrong, they blew up so that when Paul and Silas are thrown into jail in Ephesus, the guy says, these people who have spread this all across the world have come here now. Don't we want that to be said of us? Those fools from North Glencoe, those scripture shackled rubes who've been preaching the gospel all over Ottawa County have come here now and that all begins right here as we sit and hear the word being preached with a heart that says when God's word comes up against my heart I will humble myself before the word of God we preach the word because remember way back in the beginning we said this was Jesus church and we said that his word is how he guides us if this pulpit is silent and nobody's preaching the word how do we know what to do it was said in the old testament that the people perish for a lack of vision That's right. amen and what of the argument that there is no biblical principle uh, there is no biblical example of preaching in the bible I would say you need to read your Bible again in Mark chapter 3 Jesus of him it says and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach so from the very beginning before the church was called the church Jesus was sending men out to preach Jesus, the most oft-repeated verbs used of what he did was to preach and teach. He stood before crowds and would say, Thus said the Lord. Now, he did have a back and forth, and he did have conversations, and I think there's places for that. That's why with the youth, we on Wednesday nights, we have both the, the teaching where Garrett gets up and teaches, and we have small group in the, where they can sit down, and there can be a back and forth with a teacher who can answer their questions. And the way that we model this is the same thing. I preached, and then before I got in here, now some of you don't know this, but at 9 o'clock we actually do Sunday school in this church. And you've got people who have worked really hard and prepared who can sit down with you, and if you go, I don't know what you're talking about here, you can talk back and forth. If I do say something here, and I've said this repeatedly and I'll say it again, if I say something from this pulpit that you say to yourself, hey, that ain't right, Come talk to me. Show me in God's word. I would love to to know that you, like the Bereans, are searching God's word to see if it's truth. And so teaching and that back and forth has a place, but from the beginning, Jesus was sending people out to preach, to stand up and exclaim the word. Now, the only biblical example that we have Of a church service. that I know of. Of a straight up. Matured church. Church service is in Acts chapter 20. And this is what we read. On the first day of the week. Sunday. We gathered together to break bread. They took the Lord's supper and they ate. Paul talked with them. Intending to part the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. I like this church service plan. (laughs) So here we have. I think where they broke bread, that's talking about the Lord's Supper. They're doing the Lord's Supper. They're they're meeting. It tells us later in the text that they took up an offering because they took up money to send to the church uh, in Jerusalem. So they took up an offering, and somebody stood up and preached. In fact, Paul preached so long that somebody fell out of the second floor window and died because they fell asleep. Now, some of you in here, I get loud, so I wake you up. You better be glad because if you fell over and died, I'm not sure I'd raise you. So we have Jesus preaching. We have the example in the book of Acts. So I'm not real sure where this guy teaches that there's no biblical principle of preaching in the New Testament. I see it woven throughout the New Testament. So I believe exactly what we said was written on the front of this pulpit. That the pulpit is the thermopylae of Christendom. That the pulpit is the sharp edge of the sword. If the pulpit remains faithful, God's people come along afterwards. I feel like my primary task as your pastor, the number one duty that I have, is to preach the word. I believe with every fiber of my being, that if it means that I don't get any counseling time in, if it means that I have to turn down a funeral or two, that when I step behind this pulpit, I need to be prepared to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm saying is what the Bible teaches and proclaim to this body what God's Word teaches. I feel like that is my primary task. And I feel like everything else that I do is outside of that. Martin Luther said, if I today could become king or emperor, I would not give up my office as preacher. And I understand exactly what he's saying. Many's the evening and the morning before I preach. That I come in this room with it empty and I walk up and down these aisles and I pray for you because you know we're Baptists, we always sit in the same spots. And I will sit in here by myself, and I will preach my sermon to nobody as I'm praying it to God. I know if anybody, if you were to come in here about 5.30 on Sunday morning, you would think I had lost my ever-loving mind because I will have these conversations with myself as I'm preparing. Hey, wait, no, that didn't flow. I need to go, um, if I, and I jump off the speaker and everything, just like I do here. <laughs> I feel like as long as I'm your pastor... This is where the enemy's going to attack me and try to convince me to be cute and try to convince me to be entertaining. And that's just something I got to fight against. I got to fight to get myself out of the sermons. But I feel like there is no higher task, no higher calling. Nothing scares me more, and nothing gives me more fulfillment. And so as we come to a time of invitation, I pray that you pray for me. And you pray for whoever fills this pulpit. That when they stand in in this pulpit, and they stand in front of this church, that they will be faithful. That they will stand true. And that they will preach the word. Father God, Lord, we thank you. Lord, if you had not told us in your book how to do this, I am sure we would have gone off the rails long ago. Lord, we thank you that your word is not ambiguous. Your word is not hard to understand. God, I do pray that you would bless this pulpit. I pray that you would bless this body. God, I pray... That we as a church would be found faithful. That the elders of this church would be the guardians of the pulpit. Lord, if I ever stop preaching the word, God, that they would have the guts to fire me. God, I pray you would bless this body. Lord, we praise you for the many who have gotten saved in the last month or so. God, we praise you for the many who... turning more toward you. God, we pray for this congregation. God, that as they go out from this place that they would reflect your word onto the world that they come in contact with. Lord, these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.